Designers and designerettes, you're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at GasMark8 at gasmark8.com slash drunk. I am your host, Michael Feenan. And I'm your co-host, Aaron Hill. If you want to check us out on Facebook and Twitter, we're on facebook.com, twitter.com slash drunkenux. We kept it easy because, like us, hopefully, you guys like drinking at night. And if you want to find us, we wanted to make it as easy as humanly possible. <laughs> This evening, I am enjoying a refreshing, however, surprisingly sweet uh, Red's Wicked Apple. I am drinking it out of my Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Uh, <laughs> what is it? A pint glass, I think. Uh, it's one of the big glasses. Um, and I've already started, so we'll see see how that lands. <laughs> I think I said that last time. I'm uh, starting a trend, and I am not proud of that. <laughs> I wish I had a glass of that. I got some Jack and Coke tonight, Mike. Yeah, keep it simple. That's all right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this evening, we are talking about streaming services, streaming video, online video, TV, YouTube, whatever the case may be. We've got a couple different areas that we're going to talk about, uh, including categorization and search. We're also going to be talking about just the general user interface of some of these services and hopefully give you some idea of what to do, what to avoid, and how you can help your users uh, if you are using video on your websites. Did you know, Aaron, I have some facts for you. I'm a big fan of facts. Let's hear them. Wait, true facts or fake facts? Uh, well, true facts okay. made up by people on the internet, but I <laughs> trust that they aren't making it up. So um, I read it online. It must be true. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> the, uh, the, the trend these days, the youngins out there, are streaming live TV now uh, by a ratio of about 60% to 40%. What? That is, uh, and I say youngins. All, all the cord cutting, right? Right, yeah. yeah. So when we talk about cord cutting, and I admit, I am one of the cord cutters. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually ditched my cable, uh, hell, at this point, three years ago, uh, yeah. four years ago maybe. There are 22 million cord cutters as of last year. This is something that is definitely hitting the cable providers, and it, it's one of those things. It's, it's like uh, watching Blockbuster, you know, kind of try to preserve their business model <laughs> in the last few years. Are there any Blockbuster stores open still? Or are they all gone? Did you see the news the other day? I think it was Friday. The last Blockbuster in all of Texas finally closed. I wasn't sure if that was an Onion article or if that was real. <laughs> no, no. It was it was absolutely real. Wow. Um, that The article and notes in it did specify the last Netflix in Texas. Uh, I had... Not look to see if there are others floating around out there still. I think at this point they are old franchises that people have owned, but uh, people are definitely fighting tooth and nail. We actually, here in Pittsburgh, we do still have a video rental store. Really? We, wow. ha we have a family video. Uh, we used to have a Blockbuster, but they definitely did not stay open. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we have any here in Ithaca. I, we, we have an old building that used to be one. But we, it doesn't Ours have is a pizza new. place now. Nice. That's, that's a step up. I, yes, I yeah. think that's a trade that I will take any day of the week. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, you know, but all of this happens, right? We see this changing of the guard. Uh, YouTube put out their annual stats uh, yeah. for 2017 recently. Oh, yeah. They had they said on YouTube 
every minute they're up they have people uh, users uploading 300 hours that's, of video that's so crazy i i remember hearing a stat like that before and it that's just wow the the scale of it is really hard i think people hear it and they're like wow that's a lot of video but i don't think people really understand what that translates to like in aggregate you could never watch all of the youtube ever no youtube no. services 1.3 billion users now mm -hmm. billion with a b it's insane and of those every month so mm -hmm. we have 1.3 billion users on youtube 300 hours of video uploaded every minute and every month people watch 3.25 billion hours of video I have a hard time wrapping my mind around those numbers. <laughs> that, right. That's what I say. The, the yeah. scale of this is something that I yeah. think people don't necessarily grasp and how huge that is. Uh, in the last year, TV viewing has declined 4%, which yeah. isn't a lot, but it is reflected in that 22 million people cord mm -hmm. cutting. But YouTube itself has seen a 74% increase in usage. Well, where else are you going to watch your cat videos, right? Hey, I admit, I am as bad as anybody on this, and whether it's cat videos, and my god, I I was watching earlier today, Try Not to Laugh, you yeah. ever watched uh, the Fine, Fine Brothers, the uh -huh. React videos, Yeah, Try Not to Laugh stuff, you know, and I mean, that's a growth of exactly that, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Yeah. It's the yeah. evolution of that very idea, and YouTube is my background noise when I'm working mm -hmm. during the day. My goal is to put a YouTube playlist up, and it just plays in the background. It's, you know, that white noise, so to speak, whether it's yeah. somebody playing a video game or, you know, movie previews mm. or any of these things. So when you think about 3.25 billion hours of video viewed every month on YouTube, yeah, I sit down and I think, hell, I probably watch four hours of YouTube a day. <laughs> That, well, I, not watch. I, I, yeah. I'm not, my eyes are not necessarily glued right, to it, but right. it's playing. Yeah. I, I usually, if there's a song I want to hear, and I, I, I'll usually look on YouTube for it first because it's just easier to find it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've yeah. used it. Uh, somebody was saying, I, there was a, a tweet about this I saw uh, a couple weeks ago that they were talking about when they want to find a song, mm -hmm. they go to YouTube to search for it, and that that speaks a lot to the usability of YouTube compared to oh, yeah. music streaming services at yep. this point in time. My, my my kids use YouTube to look for songs. I will put in a song, and then I will follow the song. Have you done this? Like, you see what it recommends after oh, that yeah. song. Yeah, just let autoplay. You go down that rabbit hole until <laughs> you find uh, uh, Bubba John Smith uh, <laughs> doing a VHS recording in his garage of him, <laughs> like, playing a jug. <laughs> yeah. And you wonder why it's 3 a.m. and you're still watching this? <laughs> my my favorite weird YouTube find was um, a uh, like backyard. It was like a, there's a banjo and I think a guy playing either a kettle drum or like a saw or something. And they were playing Rain and Blood by Slayer. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, internet. <laughs> think about think about YouTube. So we said YouTube. We have 3.25 billion hours of video a month. Mm -hmm. So where does Netflix fall into this game, right? Netflix has hit a billion hours a week. So it's about four four a month then? A little bit more. So than they're YouTube. hitting roughly four billion hours wow. a month. Yeah. Wow. So they are they have eclipsed YouTube, but you think about Netflix and how people watch that. I watch four hours of YouTube. 
if I'm binge watching a show though, yeah, I'm gonna sit down in a day. You know, I'm especially yeah. if I'm sick, sitting at home, curled up with the blanket. Uh huh. There's eight hours of Netflix, boom, just out the window. <laughs> I I watched Stranger Things two and Black Mirror each in two days. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's easy to do, and it's easy to forget. Uh, as of right now, I'm sitting here. I'm in my office. We're recording this episode. Where is mm-hmm. my wife? My wife is in the living room watching Grey's Anatomy on Netflix. (laughs) As one does. That's, I mean, it is how a lot of people are consuming television now. And Netflix isn't the only one in that game. Of course, you've got Hulu. uh, You've got uh, Amazon Prime. You've got a lot of folks. So start multiplying these numbers out over Mm -hmm. time. Uh, DirecTV now is one of the players coming into the game to compete with Sling in the live TV market. They just passed a million subscribers uh, to start the hmm. year. They're on pace to to outgrow Sling, uh, or pass Sling, rather, okay. in, in subscribers. Sling, I've used both DirecTV and Sling. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you who have read my blog, which is not updated often, and I apologize for that, <laughs> the, the latest article there that I'll link in the show notes is everything that I see wrong with DirecTV Let's just say it's a long article, and you're <laughs> going to get some of it in today's show. So, uh, it, if nothing else, that should be entertaining. Is, is DirecTV now similar to, like, is it video on demand? I've never used it before. Is it, like, video on demand, like Netflix or Hulu or one of those? It's a little – yes and no. Okay. Yes, they do have video on demand. Is it like Netflix? No, it is not. Okay. It's more like a normal live streaming service that is supplemented with – whatever video on demand is available like if you were to go to history.com and log in and watch a show there they wrote like they don't keep their whole catalog there okay i don't know why i don't know why networks are caught up with this idea that they need to take stuff away but yeah uh, as as those episodes go in and out they also go in and out from uh from direct tv so yeah it's huh it is okay. it's very much targeted at a live TV replacement. Yeah. They've they've said AT&T has uh, mentioned in uh, interviews that their goal is not to cannibalize like their existing DirecTV satellite market. Right. They are trying to go after people like me who aren't subscribing to television via traditional means. Right. Right. I was paying what eighty bucks a month for cable. I pay thirty five bucks a month for Directv now, and I get yeah. more channels and yeah. more functionality, and it's on my terms, on my tablet, on my Fire Stick, on my HTPC. So it's hard to argue that I'm not getting more value out of that. Did you see? Have you seen anything about YouTube TV? I think that's what it's called. There, um, it's YouTube's endeavor into the the basic cable or the sorry the uh local news and sports and things that basically the reasons that people don't finally make that cord cut you know youtube tv is trying to capture that i was really excited about youtube tv when they first announced it yeah i have not signed up for it and given the way it is i won't uh i i I, I want to i think it's a good idea i think their dvr functionality i think the way they've approached that is a smart smart way of doing that and solving that problem but yeah they do not have the selection and breadth of content Mm -hmm. their selling point was we have your networks yeah yeah so i'm in the direct tv now beta program 
I think I can say that. <laughs> I, signed, I signed an agreement when I got into that, and so I apologize at and I guess, send me a, a letter or something. You're apologizing for talking about it here, but not about the screed you put on your blog? <laughs> no, no, no. no. In the, the blog is only about the production environment. Oh, what okay. I, so I'm in the beta program, so I see stuff that is not released to the public yet. Okay. And okay. one of the things that I've noticed that it's not there yet, but they have they have released to the public, you have Fox Networks. They've got Fox mm-hmm. now affiliates deployed to most of their subscribers. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen in the guide is that I also have an ABC, a CBS, and an NBC affiliate listed there. I huh. cannot watch them yet. Interesting. They, they aren't like I click on them and I just get an error, but it tells me that it looks like they are working on that process and they are going to enter that level of competition with YouTube and huh. get me my affiliates as well. Interesting. Uh, so, and if that happens, game over. Yeah. Uh, I use, I have an antenna right now hooked up to my HTPC. That's how I supplement that to get those, you know, my football games and local news and all that. Sure. But if I've got that with my streaming as well, Bam! I've got every, all of that is now in one place. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be a game changer for Directv if they can if that's uh, sorted out and gets launched at some point. Yeah, it it cool. could just be though because there are a lot of bugs in Directv now. It could just be a bug <laughs> that I'm even seeing those. Um, it does. Uh, does Directv now show ads? Uh, yeah, it's Directv now is just like live TV. I mean, it is oh, okay. literally a live stream of okay. the feeds from the uh, cable networks. So, oh, yeah, okay, okay. If you pull it up on a television and pull it up on your computer, you're going to see the exact same thing. Interesting. Okay, ads and all, and and video on demand is just dependent. Then same deal. It's yeah. dependent on if the networks are putting videos and, and are advertisements and whatnot in their stuff. They don't have extra or different advertisements. Yeah. Okay. So let's get started with search a little bit, right? Yes. Uh, search is kind of a, you know, it, it's an anchor point in anything content related, anywhere you're consuming content, whether it's Google, Wikipedia, your favorite role playing game website, mm-hmm. uh, of which I run one, uh, the9thworld.com. Just throwing <laughs> that out there because I know everybody's a Numenera player. Uh, and I have terrible search. I apologize for that. I'm working on it. Give me a break. Sorry, what were we talking about? <laughs> that's next week's topic. We're talking about your website. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about my website. That's uh, that's yeah. not a good idea. Not a, not a good idea. <laughs> uh, YouTube. So YouTube search, right, works really well. YouTube still, to this day, right, is the second largest search engine on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the numbers now, but they were serving up something like 1.3 billion searches a month wow. or something like that. It was nuts or a day or something. It was It's crazy how many searches they handle. Damn. Um, but it works well because YouTube is Google, right? Right. I mean, when you get to the, the long and short of it, YouTube is Google. It's backed by Google's, Google's technology. It's backed by all their machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube takes all that information you type in, whether it's the description of your video the categories, which we'll talk about later, that you put your yeah. video in. Uh, even They even look at not just the tags, but they even look at the file name. Mm-hmm. When you upload a video to YouTube, the file name matters. Yeah. It doesn't, oh, doesn't show up anywhere, but they use – if you put words in your file name when you upload it, that does factor into the search uh, uh, findability of your video. Because it's considered – it's not an immutable fact. 
Yeah. But it's one of those things that they presume most people aren't thinking about. So when they name their file, you know, v- research <laughs> on elephant DNA, <laughs> final, final three, final three, <laughs> final version four, uh, and upload it. That those keywords of research elephant DNA are mm-hmm. probably very relevant to what the video is about, and that that person probably isn't manipulating those. Fascinating. It's not great, and there's not a good way to measure that. And by now, they've maybe even changed it. I don't know. But that used yeah. to be one of those kind of insider little tweaks Key, that you could do. Key, keyword hijack it. Put Kardashian in all of your in your file names. <laughs> they're taking that information, but they're also combining it with their own machine learning. Mm-hmm. What they can pick out of screenshots because they have uh, uh, machine vision that can pick out you know things right. in, in the screenshots. They have the auto captioning, which can return important keywords to them. Auto captioning factors into everything with search mm-hmm. on that. I mean, YouTube is kind of like Google Maps. They are yeah. light years ahead of their competition across yeah. the board. So you know how with um, uh, was it Google Translate and then Captcha, and they have you know it's these little like things that are kind of free services that are provided by Google. And then it turns out that like, oh, you guys didn't know this, but we're using these services to train our AI. We're using Google Translate to train the speech or no, sorry, it's Google Voice. They use Google Voice to train the AI on speech and speech recognition. Um, They used, oh, the CAPTCHA. Uh, You'll notice, this has been noted by many other people already, but that if you see a lot of pictures where it's like, you know, click all the pictures that have a car in them, um, that's being used to train their Google like drive driving thing. The Google car, Google auto. So I wonder, like, is YouTube one of those experiments or are they using it for one of those experiments? And if so, what are they training for that? Literally everything. Yeah. There is an article. I'm going to I'm going to throw this article in the show notes. It has nothing to do with video at all, but Hmm. it does have to do with what you were just saying. And I think it's a fantastic read about uh, how Google Maps is not just ahead of Apple, but they are like orders of magnitude ahead yeah. um, and the way that they are training their maps engine to create data from data and huh. and using machine vision on satellite imagery and bird's eye imagery and combining that with other stuff and how they, they draw their own polygons and all this. The article is incredibly in depth and it's a little dense, but it's so good hmm. and it makes you realize just how far ahead of the game they are in some of these areas. Yeah. Um, And yeah, video is absolutely one of them. Think about how long it used to take for a video just to compile. uh, Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Render? In code, sorry. Yeah. When you uploaded it. And compared to, you know, 10 years ago versus now, those remember the days when YouTube only allowed you to upload 20-minute videos. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember when you didn't have YouTube, you said, like, E-Bombs World or other video sharing sites. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all in flash. Yes. Everyone in flash. You had to download them to watch them later. So you didn't have to queue it up again. <laughs> Netflix's search isn't bad. Uh, no, it, it works more often than not. They of course have their own metadata on the backside of things. Mm-hmm. You know, they gather all their own information on the shows and titles and things. And they bias it based on what they want you to watch. Obviously. Right, yeah. Um, versus what you want to watch sometimes. I think one of the things Netflix has taught me, uh, especially in recent times as they have been phasing out their DVD service, Uh is 
their search and other searches um, can be really bad about what they return when they don't have a hard match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, like as we talk about these, like YouTube and Netflix and DirecTV are in very different markets, right? They're all video streaming, but they are very different in their purposes. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of this, I a lot of these ideas, I think, cross pollinate really well. Yeah. When we get to Netflix, and I think about, so this will date me a little bit, but <laughs> I remember a show. I think what is probably about 1996, 1997, called Earth Two. Did you watch okay. this show? I don't think that I did, but I've heard of it before. It, What's, what channel, what network was that on? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> Let me see how many noises I can make into the microphone. <laughs> I don't remember. Hmm. Uh, it was a kind of cheesy 90s sci-fi show, but it was good. It was this about this, this oh, yeah. uh, ship of people that were sent to colonize a second Earth, uh-huh. and it turns out the planet they landed on had some kind of weird, like, planet alien like it's a living planet with these aliens who connect to the planet and there's but a boy. We, but we discovered the planet though right it's <laughs> it's so cheesy but it's so good and i've been looking for the show and every once in a while i jump on netflix i jump on amazon and i see if anybody has it mm-hmm. and they don't like they don't even they can't even offer it to you yeah and i'm a little disappointed i guess in because obviously if they don't have it they don't have it they can't give you something else necessarily if i want earth 2 i want earth 2 but i feel like there needs to be a mechanism particularly with a service like netflix that would allow me to say i want this show yeah check that and then that gets ten thousand checks in a month and somebody goes maybe we should go get a contract to get that show on our service i i find it i can't decide if when you search for something that they don't have in the streaming catalog I can't decide if I'm if I think that it's stupid that they don't show that in the results or that it would be stupid if they did show it in the results. And because then it's like, oh, there it is on the search results. And then you're like, sorry, we don't have this. <sighs> yeah. Damn you, Netflix. Give me five minutes and we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe the the important lesson there, the takeaway is that those searches provide useful data. Yeah, there's good information there about what your users want and what they're looking for yeah definitely. and i know earth 2 is going to be like a niche show that <laughs> i'm one of four people who remember that show um there are certainly other avenues where that's true and you know you can pick po- there are plenty of popular shows that certainly are not on any of these services mm-hmm. yet um, for any number of reasons and that's all good data. And I don't know. I'm sure Netflix is a smart company, and they do mm-hmm. things that I will never get to see. And I'm sure they do something with that. But as a user, it mm-hmm. would be very cool to see. We saw you searched for Earth 2. Yeah. We don't currently and then... have this available in our catalog, but we have stored this, and we will add it to our list of considerations. Or for if it was like an Amazon recommendation where you search for earth two and then, and then Netflix says like, well, sorry, we don't have this, but people who also searched for that went on to watch these shows and then recommends other shows. instead. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, uh, a great idea to keep me there. Right. Keep mm-hmm. me watching something. Cause that is ultimately what their goal is. Uh, yeah. Direct TV. Now screw you guys. Your search. <laughs> Your search is unforgivably bad. <laughs> what? Tell me about it. I've never used it before. I got to hear this. So they have a search box that gives you live results. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, uh, 
I'll I'll talk about here. Or we can talk about here in a second wh- what we think about that. But live results work okay. Mm-hmm. But they do things like they break stuff down. So you have a, a, a pop-up. It's not like a screen takeover. It doesn't take over the page. It's just a drop-down. And okay. in that drop-down, they cram in like three different chunks of search results. They're set up with these labels that make no sense to a user. I understand them because I've dug into it now and I figured it out, but it was not clear at first mm-hmm. go. They have shows and they have programs. What? What's the difference? Now, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I won't even ask you the next question because you get it. <laughs> How do I know what is a show and what is a program? Now, their distinction is that a here, I'm going to explain it, and I'm going to probably get it backwards, actually. Yeah. Um, a show is the whole show. Okay. A program is actually the episode. Yeah, that sounds like industry jargon. So that is... why don't you just say episode? Yeah. They That labeling is super, super bad. Um, and just having that mix of content means you're only able to return to me in those quick results one or two vaguely relevant answers. Yeah. You know, you've you've chunked it up. There's some screenshots, and here's where I will direct people to the blog post. I've got some screenshots of how their search looks. Check it out. Now, I haven't tested it in their beta yet, and I should, to see if they have improved upon that. Yeah. But as of right now, today, as we are recording this, that search is just painful. It seems. I mean, just speaking in terms of, of general UX practices, like you shouldn't use you shouldn't use language that is specific to your organization. You should use language that your audience is expecting. Just in right. general, with anything, I yeah. think that was a big thing with um in uh, "Don't Make Me Think" by Krug. You know, the uh, "Don't Call Your Jobs Link Jobarama" or employment opportunities. Just call it jobs or like something very plain that people are going to be looking for when they're scanning. Same thing with uh, shows. Even careers is kind of pushing it, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I see that one a lot. Amazon, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Amazon search because Amazon is not just a video company. Right. I, I have used Amazon before, so I, yeah. I, I'm a Prime user. I have mm-hmm. Amazon Same. Prime. I have a Fire Stick uh, for our TV. It's not bad. I, I actually quite like it as a, a utility. But I just feel that their search is subpar, I guess mm-hmm. is the way to put it. Like it's, it neither wows me nor does it like totally let me down, but it definitely doesn't feel like a great experience. And I think part of the reason why mm-hmm. is that Amazon has the challenge that say Netflix doesn't have of mixing paid and non-paid content together. Yeah, that's annoying. And whenever I, I uh, if I go on to Amazon Prime and I'm like, oh, what's new on here? What what new shows or movies can I watch or episodes can I watch? I can never tell. Even on the, um, I have a Samsung TV. Even on the Amazon app on that, I can never tell when, like when a show is included in Prime or how to search for it exactly. Like I kind of bumble around until eventually I find movies and then i look through them and then either there's something i want to watch or there isn't but it's not like with netflix where it's at least you can browse around more i guess definitely not like youtube 
and even YouTube, I think, is going to be susceptible to this. Uh, mm-hmm. As they try to push YouTube Red harder, as they try to push YouTube TV harder, yeah, they're all. It's already happening in some cases where they're starting to mix red content in with some of their search results, depending on you know if you're looking for stuff that's by yeah, some that's of their annoying. their creators that go across that the the borders there. I don't know how they handle that in the future because I think it's really tough to try to push users towards a paid service, especially – and this is where maybe history plays a huge factor in search. Mm-hmm. If if I search for videos and – I mean how long – of YouTube came out in 2005 if my memory is right. YouTube has been Sounds around about right. for about 13 years. Yeah. I've probably been using it almost exactly that long. Mm-hmm. There is a stupid amount – of user history on me on that website and in that user history they will find that i have never spent a dime on their Mm -hmm. content and i feel bad about that because (laughs) i know everybody's got to make their money but i do watch their ads so you know what it's a wash it's you know it goes that goes both ways but they should know that showing me that content is not necessarily going to entice me and I feel like if you are polluting my results that way, you're just getting in the way of me getting to my results. Yeah. If I if I go to if I have to see a mixture of content in search results and some of it is the things I want, some of it isn't, and then I go to watch some of it and it says, Oh, you have to be a subscriber, I'm gonna be out of that site so fast. Yeah. Even YouTube. I'll go somewhere else. And Am- or uh Amazon Red. YouTube Red <laughs> might be a subject all into itself really, but you know they're they're pushing it really hard, but you know a lot of companies have pushed a lot of services really hard over the years and fallen on their face. And I've just yeah. got a, I've got a bad feeling, guys. I don't. I ha, I'm sorry, YouTube, but I don't think that you know where the value is here for your users. Uh, no, I hate to say it, especially because a lot of their creators uh, and one of my daily watches is Good Mythical Morning. Mm-hmm. I love to see Rhett and Link being successful and doing their show on YouTube Red, but man, I ain't gonna go watch it. Yeah, I don't I know. like you guys, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll wrap up the the search talk a little bit here. Um, one of the things that a lot of companies are starting to implement is voice search. I think that's mm-hmm. great. I think it's huge. I think it's useful. Yeah. I think it's a gateway uh, to more content. I hate the fact that it is restricted to hardware implementations. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? So we're talking Roku's, we're talking Amazon Fire Stick, talking Android TV. uh, Sure. Being able to click the button on my Fire Stick remote and say, "I want to watch a movie with Brent Spiner in it." Yeah. You know, and get Independence Day. Awesome. Let's go. (laughs) Is it? That's cool. Yeah, he's the crazy mad scientist with the long gray hair. No way! Oh, yeah. Today I learned. Fun fact: I have a signed photograph of Brent Spiner in that role. Awesome. Yeah. Huh. Voice search is great. I want to see it in the web interfaces. I don't know why it's not. There's no excuse for that, especially from YouTube. Google itself has voice search. If you're you using can't do Chrome, voice search on YouTube. No. I welcome I you. While we are sitting here recording, I, looking, I welcome you to, to I, I pull it up. I am doing that. Uh, while you're doing shit. that, and you can confirm for me in two minutes, the other thing uh, is I want a search. Nobody's doing this. I can't understand for the life of me why. I want a search 
that does not interrupt my viewing experience. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, on the phone, the phone app, you can search while the video is playing, which sometimes is annoying when you start playing the video and it's not the one you were looking for. And then you hit back and it's still playing the video that you weren't looking for while you're trying <laughs> to search for the thing you were. Yeah, YouTube but, throws it down in the corner, lets you go on. Yeah. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah. DirecTV actually stole that exact – not just the interaction, but the entire sort of UI implementation. Uh, <laughs> th that's well. going to be the future of their player when you're looking at the guide, not for search, unfortunately. Yeah. But good on the phone. Same thing for the Chromecast, right? If you're mm -hmm. watching YouTube and you're Chromecasting video. Oh, I love it. I lo the Chromecast, uh, I got my mom one of those a few years ago for Christmas, and – Love it. It is we uh my siblings and I all sat there, jacked into the Chromecast, adding videos to the queue and um shuffling around the priority of them. And it's always a treat to see the stuff your siblings are listening to right now. <laughs> and it works perfectly, right? You can watch what you're watching and you can search for stuff, find stuff, add it to your queue. Your viewing experience isn't interrupted at any point. And it's fun. It's fun to sit in a room with your friends or family when you each have your own devices and you're like queuing things up secretly. And then you're all like sharing, watching it. And then like as you're thinking of things, you're adding them and there's no interruption. And you can, it's kind of like a collaborative viewing experience, which is very different from how watching living room TV was with cable, where you all kind of decide on a channel and then watch it while your dad like flips to see what else is on during the commercials. YouTube is the closest. You can, when you are watching a video, you can click the little watch later buttons in the corner of videos. Oh, yeah. They'll It'll add it to your watch later playlist, but it will only do it for the videos on that page, and you can't search and go find something that isn't there yeah, because it will take you away from the video. Um, that, to me, is one of, I, I think, one of the most egregious and weird violations of uh, the user experience with video right now online mm -hmm. why i cannot continue to have something playing and go search for other stuff I, there's a huge opportunity there that's just being missed by literally everybody vimeo's not doing it youtube's not doing it twitch isn't doing it netflix isn't doing it amazon isn't doing it. direct tv is doing it. sling isn't doing it take your pick of anybody all of them interrupt your viewing experience to search yeah I just – I don't know what to make of it. I mean they're smart people, so I, I would like to think there's a reason they haven't done it, but I suspect it's probably just sloth. <laughs> <laughs> so the next part of search – and this actually dovetails with last week's episode, which if you didn't watch mm -hmm. it was on e-commerce. I highly recommend it. It's an hour it of us excellent. going at carts. But categories. Mm -hmm. We talked about sorting mostly in the e-com episode, but categories dovetailed with that, I think, a lot. And it dovetails here as well because, again, when you're dealing with lots of content, whether it's video, whether it's products, whatever the case may be, yeah. categorization of that stuff to help find it is, I mean, incredibly important because that's how our minds work. Our minds work by compartmentalizing information. Yet YouTube doesn't use them. Not Certainly not in the traditional sense, right? Yeah, yeah, they they have um, well they they show the recommended ones when you go to the home page. They have those they broad to, spectrum, right? They used to show subscriptions, and I know that I have some friends who are YouTube creators, and they have that's been kind of a thorn in their side that YouTube doesn't show your subs page on the home page; it shows your recommended ones instead. And usually, the recommendations are trash. It's like 
old stuff or I don't know. Just I don't want to watch it. It's funny because their categories really are all built around user interactions. Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah, what's recommended the... based on what you've watched. Here's what's trending right. based on what other people have watched. Here's yes. stuff you've already watched. Do you want to watch it again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't go there and just be like, I want to watch science videos. Right. <laughs> I want to watch comedy videos. <laughs> That's true. I've never thought about that. Yeah. If, yeah. if you're watching a channel, or if you've set up a channel, rather, you go in and you say, you know, I'm an arts and entertainment, or I'm an internet and technology channel, or whatever the case yeah. may be there. But that applies to your whole channel. It's uh, on the video uh, level... There is no searching by category, and it's kind of fascinating from a research standpoint, I think, because of how much data we talk about, how much video, 300 hours a minute are being uploaded to yeah. YouTube. The sheer volume of stuff, and they've avoided that that question. I don't know that I want YouTube to have categories now that I think about it. I, I like the fact that it's kind of a giant archive that we search, and you can kind of creatively think up, like, well, I really want to see... I get a kick out of you played on the accordion sung in Portuguese, you know, and I'm, I bet that video exists somewhere. Yeah, And I don't disagree. If you have categories like arts and entertainment or science technology or, or whatever, whatever YouTube decides to make the categories, then everybody tries to pigeonhole their content into those. And I think right. that would really put a damper on the creativity. Yeah, I, I absolutely don't disagree. I think that it was smart. Mm -hmm. I also think it was accidental. Yeah, probably. <laughs> You know, one thing I'm trying to remember right now is, you know, when I was using YouTube in 2008, did they have categories then? And I honestly, I, I just can't remember. Uh, and that was something I didn't look into before the show. Uh, but that's something that I think is interesting. And I think it's something they kind of fell into that mm -hmm. by the time stuff was taken off and was just going, by that point, it was too late. Yeah. Spotify has been doing a... Uh... Unlike the main Spotify player page, they they do a thing where they have these like different curated playlists. Each one's like 20, 30 songs or something, and they have different thematic names. And I, I don't know. Sometimes I just want to go on there and like listen to the playlist that I made because it's songs that I like and I like to code while I'm doing those, you know? <laughs> you know what's interesting is that while YouTube, I feel like, is on one end of the spectrum of mm -hmm. they don't use categories, they don't need categories, they're doing great without them. Yeah. Then you have folks like Netflix and DirecTV <laughs> who have gone to the whole other end of the spectrum, and I don't even understand what you are trying to do. <laughs> Netflix is such a shit show. I, I can't speak for DirecTV, but oh my god, the, the Netflix categories are they, – they show the same movies in multiple categories, even ones you don't like. Like, here's a show that we think only 6% match for you. You should check it out. <laughs> it's like, really, guys? <laughs> I, I was doing some uh, some looking on, on the Twitters, and at Shaycore had this to say. He said, Netflix categories don't make sense. Recently added stuff automatically becomes trending now stuff because it's new and everyone's watching it. And because it's new and trending, it's automatically popular on Netflix. It's all the same. <laughs> what the fuck at Netflix? Uh, yes. And it's that's Can very confirm. true. It's, it's the same yeah. kind of problem that you, be, you get this duplicative stuff. Mm -hmm. If you've already showed me... Uh, showed me, shown me. You know, I don't even know. Uh, Orange is the New Black. That's that's sure. that is a Netflix show. You've sh yeah. you've shown me Orange is the New Black. First thing as a popular on Netflix. If I scroll down two rows, why do I see it again? Yeah, yeah. I know, and I shouldn't. 
say why. I know the answer to that question. I know it's because Netflix wants you to watch that show, so they're going to keep bombarding you with it. Right. But it ends up – it's a frustrating experience for the user, though, which leads to a bad user experience. And and then the continue watching and my list oh. – lists, my list lists – are below all of this. I have to scroll down the page twice to get to my list, the thing that I created that I want to watch. And those are the normal categories. (laughs) Those are the ones that make sense. Then you get into, uh, at David Henry said, I love how Netflix sometimes comes up with very specific categories. Today's chilling independent supernatural movies. (laughs) And... I know for a fact that he isn't making that up because I have seen that yep. category show up in Netflix. I have seen that or something very similar. Yeah. It's like it, when I log into Netflix and I see television shows with aliens who are looking for love in all the wrong places on Tuesdays. <laughs> guys, <laughs> let me tell you something. I think you're trying too hard. <laughs> what's funny is that, I mean, the movies they put in these categories, like if I recognize the movies, I'm like, yeah, okay. That's 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 fair, but it, yeah, it's just strange that they would have. I don't know. It reminds me a lot of um, like the Pandora labels when you look at the the Pandora music genome project tags on the bottom of the songs and tells you like all the different tags you're using for the songs. Reminds me a bit of that. I think the bigger problem too, like you can get away with that. You know, I'm not gonna split hairs over the fact that you want to make up these weird categories. Mm-hmm. Fine, do that. As long as everything else makes sense. And the problem, especially with Netflix and Amazon has this problem, DirecTV has this problem, that I don't know who is in charge of their taxonomy and yeah. chooses to put things in the categories they go in. But like at a very high level, what they consider sci-fi and comedy or mm-hmm. let's say romantic comedy, if I yeah. see Taken in the romantic comedy <laughs> category – let me tell you something, guys. You need to pay somebody a lot fucking more money to get them to do their job right. I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> I kind of want to see Taken. I want to see Taken as a rom-com. I, I want to see that. Can somebody recut this? <laughs> 30 Shades of Taken? <laughs> I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the safe word. Never mind. <laughs> This is going to go down a weird path. Uh, but The safe word is throat punch. The, the categorization on these is, I don't know, guys. If you cannot get the basics right, don't dive into the advanced side of the pool or deep into the pool, rather. <laughs> okay, okay. I have a uh, – so remember, remember when Netflix had that prize? Um, I forget what they called it, but it was if you could get an algorithm that would do a recommendation – that was accurate more than 95% of the time. Remember they did that? It's like multi-million dollar prize. I don't know if it was ever awarded or not. I do not They're... remember that, but I trust you. I trust you okay. on that. <laughs> yeah, they, they had a thing for that. I, it was uh, probably six, seven years ago. Um, so their, their ratings, their recommendations, confidence, score, whatever, used to be really good. And I, I remember seeing, you know, they were very honest about it. Like, well, we're only, we have 60% likely that you're going to like this movie or like 98% that you're going to like this one. And it was pretty accurate usually. And when you rated something thumbs up or thumbs down or back then it was stars, they right. would um, they would show you like we think 
you are likely to rate it by this number of stars based on your viewing history and your rating history. That was really good, and I, I thought it was very useful. But the thumbs up, thumbs down thing now, I don't know how they're doing the, the ratings because the um, I, I made a new profile on my Netflix account, and it was saying like movie like shows like Stranger Things 2, which I like, but wasn't appropriate for this profile that I was creating, was saying that 98% suggested. I was like, why? Because I haven't watched anything on this profile. Why would you say that I want to watch this? <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know what they're doing with their their percentage ratings now, but it's it's different. That I can't answer. I do think the thumbs up, thumbs down, and there'll be a couple links in the show notes about Netflix's usability testing, so do go check those out. Okay. The thumbs up, thumbs down, I think, comes from that idea that and we talked about this last week, right, with ratings. Oh, right. Most yeah, the people one tend stars. to rate things ones or fives. Like, yeah. A- and there will be a glut in the middle as well. And if, yeah. if all your value is in one, three, five, and you don't get that nice bell curve that figures mm-hmm. out or that shifts, you know, based on true quality, I have yeah. a feeling they were finding out, they found in, in their testing that they had like a, a, a reverse bell curve. You're probably right. And I... I agree with you. I don't. I don't think it's a problem. They're doing thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm just unclear about how that's affecting anything. Right. Uh, the the profile I was creating. Well, I didn't create it. My kids created it. It's for their dog who likes to watch a dessert baking show while she's home alone because she's anxious. I'm not making wait, this up. I'm wait, serious. I need you to go back about. Th- I don't know how much I've had to drink now, but I don't think it's enough <laughs> to have misheard what you just said. So I want you to restate my, that for everybody. Okay. My daughter made. A Netflix profile on the account where the dog, she's a little dachshund Yorkie mix, um, and to watch while she's home alone because she gets anxious and she likes watching um, it's like Zumbo's Dessert Challenge or something like that. I saw this come up on the profile. I didn't know what was going on with it, but I saw the dog's name. And then I went, I went in and I started like finding like different dog related shows and movies and then adding them to the list and then like thumbs upping dog and animal related movies and a couple others that I thought she might like and thumbs downing everything else, hoping that it would start recommending like dog related content. It, it didn't. I was really disappointed. I thought that would be a really fun prank. Holy crap. It got weird. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back after the break. We are going to refill <laughs> our glasses and come back and talk to you for a few minutes at least about player interfaces, user interfaces, and what else goes into watching videos on these services. The Drunken UX podcast is made possible by our friends at GasMark8. GasMark8 is a web hosting firm with data centers in New York, San Francisco, London, and Frankfurt. Customers of GasMark8 enjoy free SSL certificates, sites that are served over HTTP2, and the experience of owners who design the service around the needs of their customers. Listeners of the Drunken UX podcast can enjoy service for $10 a month. Just sign up at gasmark8.com drunk. That's gasmark, the number 8.com drunk. So, let's take a second, slow down a little bit. We've talked about search. We've talked about categories. Hopefully, that was, maybe it wasn't useful, but I hope it was entertaining. Uh, If it's not entertaining, (laughs) maybe let your dog listen to it and see if they want (laughs) to listen to more episodes. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk, though, about 
in a broad sense, just the general interface of watching videos. And this mm-hmm. applies to, I think, you know, the players, right? It, pl- it, it applies yeah. to the video Chrome uh, on sites, but it also applies to the in- the entire experience as far as I'm concerned. Um, right. And this includes whether it's the Fire Stick, a Roku, you know, mm-hmm. a- Android TV, all these different experiences will come into play a little bit. Um, and I think it all matters. I think, though, the funny part about this is I want to give YouTube and definitely Netflix a lot of credit here. I mean, let's yeah. face it. YouTube's had this on lockdown for seven, oh, yeah. seven years. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a period there around 2009, 2010, where there was a lot of debate about, well, do we use YouTube or do we use Vimeo? Right. Oh, and yeah. Poor Vimeo. I feel like that argument settled vimeo is where people go and they get booted off youtube it seems and I, nothing against vimeo it's a very well done site and everything but just the reality of the types of content you see in vimeo it seems to be the youtube rejects well i also think uh, you know a big part of it and this may have changed now i don't use vimeo and i haven't in a long time uh and i haven't researched how they've addressed stuff but i know for us like when i worked for the university Using YouTube was major because they supported captioning and keyboard control mm-hmm. at the time. Vimeo didn't. Yeah. Vimeo didn't right. all the way up when when 2012 hit and I'm uh, switched to uh, jobs. By that point in time, Vimeo still did not support captioning, and I don't know if they ever did. Yeah, uh, YouTube's captioning is pretty good. I, I like that it has auto translate too. That's a nice feature. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's as good if you understand that it's a robot that is defining the captions, and then another robot that is all that is translating them, and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna get an imperfect translation, but at least I'll have a general sense for what this person's talking about. It's great. It, it's a start, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. as we mentioned in the search section, they use those captions to then make your video easier to find. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, and. For our listeners, uh, if you've been to our website, you notice we do transcripts. And to this point, we use a machine transcription to start that process, and then we edit that. So Manually. I, yeah, I can't say anything bad about the <laughs> machine transcription because that is that is part of how we deliver that service to you guys. Right. It is incredibly valuable. And I think with YouTube as well as others, they're the standard now. They've set that standard, and it not just from a features like uh, captioning, but – just the general interface, yeah. you know, from keyboard controls to, you know, video is simple. Video is straightforward. We've had video, you know, at-home video playback since the 80s, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you had your VCR with the remote and things like the play button, stop button, rewind, all of this. <laughs> you know, that's all – that's a well-defined UI uh, or UXD, rather, let's let's call it that right. – um, that the user experience design that goes into all of that is now something that's well-defined. That's why we have a play button and why it looks the way it does. The play button on YouTube is a direct evolution of that play button you had on your remote in 1982. Mm-hmm. So that makes... this is the vestigial term of rewind. <laughs> or, right. my no, my favorite is still the save icon. Um, right. <laughs> and the fact that people already don't know what that means. Yeah, I, I showed my kids an actual three and a half inch floppy disk and I asked them, I found it while going through some stuff and I asked them what they thought it was. 
they they had some very very sincere but um variety of answers <laughs> so on next week's episode <laughs> we get to hear these answers you know what's something i really love about youtube that i just discovered this past year i like to listen while i'm at work um if i'm doing some like little tedious repetitive task i will listen to conference talks to sort of like you know develop just develop my skills see what's out there people talking about and um i discovered you can listen to a playback uh sped up up one and a half one and a quarter two times right. as fast which when you're hearing someone talk they talk a little faster but it's totally intelligible and you can hear what they're saying and um it's great and it's a way to you can get through a, an hour talk and like two-thirds of the time it's awesome we haven't talked about it in today's episode but uh if you've used like an lms uh, a learning management system mm-hmm. that has a video component a lot of those have that same functionality and i've done that where i've yeah. been going through a training program or something like that that has a video component and i use that sped up video to help me get through it because i mean i'm not gonna lie some of those videos those guys are not teachers they are not trained speakers and i'm gonna fall asleep if i have to sit there for two hours listening to your video but i can pull it off in an hour double time it, rock and roll Mm -hmm. where so you where youtube's been setting the standard um netflix has too but in a totally different and interesting way Mm -hmm. netflix to me has and YouTube has too, but I I really want to I want to recognize Netflix as, as somebody who's been striving towards this for a while. Is that their cross platform deployment is mm-hmm. just a work of art. It is really great. Yeah, the fact that you can use Netflix on a Wii, a PS4, a Chromecast, a Fire TV, a website, and your experience across the board is close enough that you will never get confused on it it's it's so it's kind of magical it's like having a refrigerator in your house right you just expect it to be there and you expect this magical box you put things in things suddenly get cold it, you have a netflix app on your phone you tap it and now you can watch movies and we don't really think much about all the stuff that goes into that but it's kind of a fucking miracle oh it absolutely <laughs> is yeah can you imagine how much work has to go into making Netflix no. work on a Wii? Nope. I mean, <laughs> come on. That is yeah. not a straightforward port. Uh, there's no. no way. Yeah, they have figured out the magic sauce on that. And even – and here's where it gets really great is if you're on something that's older. Oh, I wish I could remember what it was I was using the other day. Whatever it was I was using, the – Netflix app that was available was like four versions old. I mean, it was old, mm-hmm. old, but it still worked. <laughs> it it was missing, like it didn't have profile support. They hadn't implemented yeah. the profiles yet where you could set up different users. It did work for viewing, though. Like you could log yeah. in, you were just logged in as the primary profile then, and you could watch a video, and watching the video worked. It streamed, it didn't skip, it didn't do anything. That's amazing, compared to the service that we've kind of come to expect from some people anyway right <laughs> in, in this in this wide world so i think netflix i would like to see them do a lot more in the space of working with companies completely unrelated to video in how you make mm-hmm. your service available cross platform 
and yeah keep it usable even as times you know change and move on and technology changes yeah now direct tv of course the one <laughs> glaring oh come on give them this they they get this one right they get a win tonight no i give oh. them nothing and i take from them everything <laughs> um i feel i feel bad for them failing so hard <laughs> listen i'm just gonna be straight here I have beat them up on Twitter over this. I have written an article about this. I have tried everything I can. I do not know why in 2017 I do not have fucking keyboard controls for their mm -hmm. stupid video player. I don't know how they are getting away with it without a lawsuit, frankly. When when you say keyboard controls, you mean things like pressing spacebar to pause and play? Or do you mean like yes. advanced keyboard control? Okay, you can't even do that? No. And, really? And this is true on their current player. It's true on their beta player. I cannot control their player at all. I don't know what it's written in. I don't know what it's what the deployment is set up like. But there is no keyboard control over it. And it drives me insane. And this is one of those arguments where we get into accessibility is usability. Yeah. I don't have a functional disability, but I could – and as mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't, I am still frustrated that you are not making your product usable for me in a way that I've come to expect with the trendsetters who are Netflix, who are YouTube, who all have solved this problem and you haven't. Yeah, I I fully expect any video player, if I have if it's on a computer desktop, I expect to be able to press the space bar to plot, play or pause it. And if it can't even do that, that's that is like the lowest of low bars. I can forgive a lot of other stuff. Give me mm -hmm. my space bar. <laughs> Come on, give How do you me my deal damn with that, space man? bar. I am not asking for that much here. And I thought for sure they were going to have this fixed by now, and they don't. And I'm shocked. I am amazed. I think this is a good place to mention uh, Jacob DeLaw of the Internet User Experience. Uh, Jacob Nielsen from the Nielsen Norman Group. He's like kind of the He's a very well-renowned voice on usability issues, which I'm really understating that if you know who he is. Um, he, it's Users spend most of their time on other sites. So if you make choices about your UX, you should pretty much adhere to the way other sites are doing it as much as you can because that allows for faster onboarding and faster uh, learning of your UX, uh, and, of your UI. And fewer lawsuits. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, DirecTV to me is a is a walking accessibility lawsuit. Yeah. And let's be fair, Netflix hadn't solved this problem until 2014. Yeah. And they had to be sued over it too. Yeah. And so the only reason we have captions across the board at Netflix is because of this uh this approach. Yeah. It's insane to think that in 2014 a lawsuit had to be filed to solve that problem, though, when it's a solved problem. I, I don't have any, uh, like, I, I can hear just fine and everything, but I like having captions turned on, even if it's an, a fully English movie and everything. I just like having the words at the bottom of the screen because sometimes, you know, the volume changes or it's just hard to hear what people have to say. And honestly, like, when my kids were little, I had to have the captions on because they were either noisy or sleeping. <laughs> so in either case you gotta have there are a captions. thousand reasons why you would want yeah. to have captions 
Uh, and not all of them are accessibility. And it comes back to what I said. Accessibility is usability. Making a good yeah. accessible product is making a better product for everybody who uses it across the board. DirecTV is going to be in a world of hurt if they do not figure this stuff out, if they want to be in this yeah. game. Also, you know, DirecTV has this problem. Sling had this problem. My God, Sling had it. Um, I, I was a Sling customer for a while. I switched to DirecTV. But mm -hmm. their interfaces don't understand when you are on a computer versus when you are on a TV. And what I mean by that is there's – and, I'm, again, I'm going to – I'm going to point people to the article I wrote on my blog about this because there's a screenshot. If I am on – I have 2K monitors here. I'm, I'm not fancy yeah. enough for 4K, but I'm a foot from my monitors. It's fine. What I see on this versus what I see on my home theater PC in my living room on a 65-inch TV that's 1080, yeah. that drastically impacts what I'm able to see. And yeah. I cannot read your interface from my chair at that size and resolution. It's the same res like two. It's two K resolution on four K. It's not HD. No, well, on my monitor, it's it's two K, so it's you know it's okay. not it's half four K, so it's what it's twenty five sixty by fourteen forty. My TV sure. is nineteen twenty by ten eighty. Uh, yeah. The difference being, while on my two K monitor, that's a much more dense. Uh, like yeah, if I'm looking yeah, yeah, at the yeah. listings page, for instance, and sure. the search results or whatever. I'm a foot from my screen, so I can see a lot of information. I can take it all and I can read it all. But my home theater PC is 1080. It's huge, but because of the interface thinking that it's a monitor, that's a 1080 monitor, that's you know a it has 20, a tiny text. It's super small. There, oh. It's impossible to read it. You have to physically get up and walk to the TV to read it, or you have to blow the zoom all the way up. Well, <laughs> these interfaces don't have any accounting for that idea. They think, oh, you're just watching it on a computer. And yeah. I know that's a nitpicky uh, type uh, of no, argument. No, it makes it unusable. I, if you can't read it, or if, if it's just... I don't know, tiny text on a billboard. Why would you do that? Same thing with user interface for television. Yeah, it's a, that's a very similar idea. Yeah. It's like if you've got, yeah. for instance, a tiny text on a billboard versus a sign you printed off and stuck on the you know the door to your store. Mm -hmm. And so somebody's reading a sign a foot from their face or a billboard, you know, a hundred feet away. It's a very similar challenge in that case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's oh, a man. that's a good analogy in terms of how that affects the readability and usability of that inter interface. And it's something that I know that, man, like 3% of their user base probably has to deal with that. But as the user, it's the most important thing in the world to me when it's a problem that gets in the way of my using your service and the difference between me paying you my 35 bucks a month or not. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a subscriber, as I've said before, and I, I don't know that I would need to subscribe to them. But like with those three problems alone, I'm definitely not using it. <laughs> and to a lesser extent, Netflix does suffer from this problem, but their interface is lightweight enough, so to speak, that mm -hmm. it, you don't notice it really. But right. it's not immune. It just shows the effects less. I want – and YouTube. YouTube's – I mean all of all of them, they all suffer from this. YouTube has this problem where um, I want the Android TV YouTube app. I want okay. to be able to use that from a PC. I don't think I've used that one before. 
I've I've What's had a Android couple. TV? I've had a couple yeah. Android TV devices. Um, they're cool, but they aren't yeah. very well supported, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, it makes YouTube really nice to use because it's designed to be used from a TV. The interface is designed yeah. for a TV, and their website absolutely is not. Huh. And there's not a way to tell it. Hey, I'm viewing this on a TV. Can you give me an alternate presentation? Um, yeah. There's no context-aware presentation for that stuff. And I think that's where all of these folks need to take a lesson. Amazon um, mm-hmm. is 112% in that mix. <laughs> these folks need to realize you're offering streaming video, you know, think about the context of people using this on a TV or a monitor and give them the ability to make that experience fit the environment they're in. It's sort of definitely. So here we go. Here's my prediction. I'm going to make it now because I want this on record. Yeah. This is next gen responsive design. This is responsive design 2.0. And I'm going to make everybody hate me for coining that term, (laughs) but that is the next level of responsive is environment context aware presentation context aware presentation okay all right there we go there context aware presentation cap yeah oh it's even got an acronym is is your website cap compatible oh snap but i think that (laughs) i i joke but i do think that that is kind of that next step is okay we know how big the screen is you're looking at but Screen yeah. size, and keep in mind, when you do responsive design, as I know you're well oh, aware, it's yeah. entirely based on pixel count. That Yeah, and we've I've gotten bitten on that a number of times with uh, where, you know, the new iPhone, what are we at, 9 now? iPhone 9. The screen resolution is, with the retina display, is impressively dense. It's really amazing. But the problem is, is that it's so good that it doesn't trigger the right responsive modes with uh, media queries with the <laughs> CSS. And so we end up getting, um, we, we had to add additional stuff that checks the user agent and other things to make sure that we communicate the right version of the app of the site. Yeah. Uh, and oh. I don't know what the answer is to that. Let me be very clear. Like how First do you, world problems. how do you tell? Yeah. How do you tell a system that you're using a TV? You know, my 1080 screen is a, you know, a 60 inch television, not a 23 inch monitor. That makes a difference, and there's a standard there that I think is going to have to be met at some point. It's over HTTP, right? User agent. Just send an honest user agent string and maybe some extra metadata that goes with it and actually use that. Yeah. I mean, everybody has to use it correctly for it to be work right, but I mean, the thing's there, just people aren't using it right. We'll see what happens. I think that's something that's going to take a <laughs> lot more years and a lot more people smarter than me to figure out. Uh, so i think the lessons the takeaways here for Mm -hmm. what we've been talking about first of all youtube let's talk youtube right yeah i think youtube's lesson is with great power comes great responsibility yeah they've been in this market for 13 years they are the standard they are the ones who basically tell everybody else how to play the game they have knowledge they have experience and they have data that nobody else has access to. And that needs to show when it comes to YouTube Red, when it comes to YouTube TV, that information and that experience, I think, has to show through in those venues. And if it fails, it's their fault. Yeah. If it fails, they didn't try hard enough. 
Yeah, they've got the they got the resources. They've got everything they need, I think, to make that work. And the theory, I think, sounds the theory on paper is great. Mm-hmm. They've got to figure out how they crack that nut. And I think it's honestly, I think it's a price thing. Yeah, they need YouTube Red to be cheaper. They need YouTube TV to either be cheaper or offer better services. Mm-hmm. Um something but they have the power and i think what they do will set that trend netflix netflix has a few things actually netflix i will be shocked if netflix remains a an independent company really if youtube or google i should say alphabet if alphabet or amazon doesn't buy mm -hmm. netflix in the next five years i would be shocked i i would be kind of shocked if netflix allowed themselves to be but i mean it would have to be a hostile takeover i they are generating their own content i could see maybe their distribution platform being snatched up and then spinning off to just making content but i think the fact that they are their own distribution platform and they can make their own content that's like good vertical integration there isn't it it's it's tough and i know that what i'm suggesting is kind of aggressive but at the same time they are a single market. They have a single market vector, video. Mm-hmm. Their service is, is video yeah. content. Uh, Google is data. Amazon is products. And Amazon is yeah. going after everybody. We saw this with the Whole Foods acquisition. Oh, yeah. They're not afraid yeah. to spend money. And let's face it, AWS is a success because of Netflix. That's true. If Netflix hadn't built out their system on AWS... I don't think AWS would have made it, frankly. The $6 yeah. billion dollars a year, give or take, that Netflix spends on infrastructure, <laughs> a lot of that goes to Amazon. Um, that's insane. And so that's why I say that is I just have trouble seeing in, – in this world where everybody gets acquired, everybody gets bought by somebody, everybody's owned by mm-hmm. somebody, this idea that Netflix remains this weird rogue single player – I just don't think it lasts, and I think somebody's going to shell out forty billion, a hundred billion dollars to oh, get them. That'll be to sad. The I, I just, I, I would be worried that the quality of Netflix as a product would decline if someone else took them over. Yeah, I don't that would know. Be really sad, and I, I think it happens because of what we were saying earlier with interfaces and mm-hmm. that idea that Netflix is so good about putting their stuff on everything. Yeah. But at the same time, that means they're on everything. You're telling me Roku isn't interested in, you know, walling that garden in. Amazon isn't interested in saying, yeah. you know what? Screw you, YouTube. We don't have to play your game. <laughs> uh, YouTube, Google's already doing this. Google's already told Netflix, uh, or not Netflix, I'm sorry, Amazon. They've already pulled YouTube off the fire stick. So, Ew, wow. Okay. So. Are people going to want a product that can't play Netflix, though? That's the question. And I think as Netflix consolidates their – or as Netflix fortifies their position with all of their original content – I mean, that was uh, – there's a Quartz article that came out uh, recently. It said how people use Netflix versus Amazon Prime versus Hulu. And mo- like 37% of viewers on Netflix watch original series. 34% watch other series and only 29% watch movies. But on Amazon Prime, 39% watch movies 
and then the original and other series are 27 and 24 percent hulu is other series at 54 percent with other ones with the original movie series and movies that around 20 percent so netflix original series are a huge success yeah and amazon's aren't yeah man in the high cast so yeah so people there's a demand for the content, not just the product, yeah. but like the content that Netflix and is producing. At the end of the day, I, what I see happening is it's – this is what we're talking about. Let's just be real here is there's a mm-hmm. war between Amazon and Google. Oh, yeah. It's, very, <laughs> it, it's a very strange war when you really look at the kinds of companies they are, but they see the ground between them, and they're both mm-hmm. going after that ground that's between them as companies. And Netflix is – in the is ground zero for where that yeah. war is taking place and what they're both going towards because they both have a stake in that market they both see it as a tool that's on both their platforms it's successful and i think netflix can't withstand that my, market my pressure. prediction since we're making predictions here my prediction if netflix gets acquired it's going to be by for someone in the telecom sector and not amazon or google i i think that netflix is because Netflix is such a huge bandwidth suck for the telecom companies that I could see them trying to consolidate that in um, into their thing, into their business. You want to know um, what would be nuts? Just absolutely what? off the wall bonkers if Hulu acquired them. Uh, that would that wouldn't make Netflix better. That would that would make Hulu better than make Netflix worse. Yeah, I say it's, it's probably more likely that Netflix would acquire Hulu. But yeah, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> well, just really quick on the topic of Hulu, I thought they were great, and until they, and, I mean, the ads were like whatever. But then they did Hulu Plus where you could get ad free, and then the subscribers that got suckered into to get doing that got ads eventually, anyways. Right. Yeah, that's bullshit. Don't do that. I, I think uh, in the world of Netflix and on a totally different subject, the other thing I want to give them credit for, though, given the importance they play in web development and in the technology world is the development of what is known as the chaos monkey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier that Netflix is built largely in AWS and the chaos Mm -hmm. monkey was effectively a tool as they got so huge, they needed a way to test at scale, you know, mm-hmm. failures of servers and failures of distribution nodes and failures of, of uh, cataloging systems and and any manner and form of, of their delivery layer. And so the Chaos Monkey is a system that is designed to operate in their production environment, and it goes mm-hmm. around and just shuts a server down. <laughs> It sounds so asinine when, when you read about it. You're like, why would you intentionally hurt your production environment? But when, when you need such consistent uptime like that, if your operation isn't redundant enough to handle that kind of um, interruption, then you've got bigger problems. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's incredibly useful for AWS, but anybody who's doing broad scale, you know, certainly web hosting, um, you know, folks like DigitalOcean and Rackspace and these folks mm-hmm. who do VPS type work and everything. You know, anybody who's got large scale server infrastructure can benefit from that. Even if you have, let's say you have a system that has a four node, you know, web host or something. Mm-hmm. This can go in there and, you know, take a database down. 
mm-hmm. take an Apache server down <laughs> and just make sure that your load balancer picks it up right and sends you the alert right and yeah. use it as a fire drill. Um, that idea, and I'm sure other folks had probably played with something like that before, but Netflix was the one who really made it like a thing. That yeah. idea that the Chaos Monkey, and I mean, that's that's literally what it's called, is yeah, that's a is. service <laughs> that they have created that you can take that idea and, and deploy on your own. So definitely something I think that they need credit for because it made people think about how you provide uptime on large-scale deployments. Mm-hmm. Um, DirecTV Now, listen, guys, um, <laughs> we have weird feelings for each other. Um <laughs> I like you. I'm going to continue paying for your service. I think you have a most improved player award waiting for you at home plate, but you need to hit the ball first before you can get there. Um, <laughs> no participation trophy here. No participation trophy. <laughs> uh, they have a service that is waiting to be great, um, mm. but they have a long way to go. And I hope they get there because I do like the value they provide with what they have when yeah. it works and when it works right. Uh, and I know at the end of the day, the listeners here, you know, you guys aren't folks that work for Netflix. You don't work for YouTube. You don't work for Amazon or Twitch or Vimeo or take your pick on these folks. But all of these companies are organizations that send the design and the user experience cues to the rest of the industry when it comes mm-hmm. to providing streaming video. And yeah. so while the meat and potatoes of today's episode maybe didn't hit you like right in the gut, it's important to think about what these people are doing because it does affect even at a very yeah. low level, the design choices we make, the interaction choices we make uh, and how that, affects users and what they do um right as aaron mentioned jacob's law plays into this heavily that users spend most of their time on other sites not yours yeah if you're like we mentioned with the space bar thing you know we are all so accustomed to that if you have a video player that doesn't have a space bar for pausing you reconsider which video player you're using <laughs> and and reconsider how you feel about life <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Drunken UX podcast this week. Uh, we are we'd love to hear from you. Leave comments, contact us on social, check us out. We'll be back in a couple weeks with something else new. Um, we did mention the higher ed thing last week. That's coming up. We want to make it a super special episode, so you'll you'll hear from it soon. This episode of the Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by Gasmark 8. Look, web hosting is not sexy. It's just something that's kind of there. You pay every month to the big hosting company that secretly owns all the smaller hosting companies, and you get slow speeds, oversold servers, and terrible support. But the reality is, the couple extra seconds it takes for your website to load could mean lost customers or clients. Less customers equals less money. Where do you go if you want super fast, reliable, and affordable web hosting and you don't really want to babysit a Linux server 24-7? Gasmark 8. Their hosting environment is built for speed and security. All SSD storage? Check. Blazing fast WordPress? Check. Free SSL certificates for all domains if you don't already have one? Check. Data centers on both US coasts, the UK, and mainland Europe? Yes, yes, yes. Gasmark 8 was started by an American, Mike Rachwalski, and a Brit, Adam Palin. 
Two hired veterans who met at a conference and started a company making WordPress websites. As more clients complained about their web hosting, Mike and Adam thought over a couple of ciders at the pub that there's got to be a better way. So they built one, and now dozens of small businesses, developers, and nonprofits trust GasMark 8 with hosting their websites. If you run a web development or creative agency, GasMark 8 has a great reseller program you can use to upsell their fast and secure hosting to your clients. As a special for listeners of the Drunken UX podcast, GasMark 8 is offering this limited-time special. You can get all the features of their super-fast platform for just $10 a month. Just go to gasmark8.com drunk to sign up. That's gasmark8.com slash drunk. Yeah, if you want to follow along, join us at Facebook or Twitter at sloshed, I mean slashed, I mean slash <laughs> drunken UX. That's D-R-U-N-K-E-N-U-X. We post all our updates there. We keep you up to date when shows are coming out. We ask for feedback and information on topics that are coming up. As Aaron mentioned, we're going to be doing the higher ed episode very shortly. We're going to be including a lot of stuff in there. Uh, I think, right, we're going to do a two-part episode, uh, I think is what yeah. we've decided. So yeah. that's going to be a big show. Um, so stay tuned for that and be sure to keep listening, keep drinking and keep designing.